Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the College and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. Welcome to the Mills Sunday School. Thanks for coming. Would you just take a second and meet somebody that you don't know, venture outside of your table? Um, we're going to do some table discussions. So the bigger the table, the better. So if you're at a small table, join. Come on up. Ready, get set, go. Meet somebody. Bibles to Proverbs chapter 7. Uh, and you can turn, we have Bibles on the table. Many of you have Bibles on your devices. But actually turn there. Look at this text. This is a great text to look at with your own eyes and see it. We're talking about eros, the type of love that's often considered romantic love. And this chapter in Proverbs 7 is eros love gone horribly wrong. So listen to the words. Proverbs 7. Are you there? Raise your hand if you're there. That's about half-ish. Give you another second. Proverbs chapter 7. This is the proverb about the uh, adulterous woman, and, and it's, it's telling a young man to stay away from her. So it says, Dear friends, do what I tell you. Treasure my careful instruction. Do what I say, and you'll live well. My teaching is as precious as your eyesight. Guard it. Write it out on the back of your hands. Etch it into the chambers of your heart. Talk to wisdom as to a sister. And so I'm reading in the message version, which is a very uh, conversational uh, type of translation. It goes on to say this. Treat your inside as a companion. They will be with you to fend off the temptress, that smooth-talking, honey-tongued seductress. As I stood at the window of my house, so here's this guy, or here's somebody looking out, watching this scene, looking out through the shutters, watching the mindless crowd stroll by. I spotted a young man without any sense. It's not a good situation. Arriving at the corner of the street where she lived, then turned up the path to her house. It was dusk. The evening was coming on. The darkness thickening into night. Just then a woman met him. She'd been lying and waiting for him, dressed to seduce him. Brazen and brash she was, restless and roaming, never at home, walking the streets, loitering in the mall, hanging out at every town corner. She threw her arms around him and then kissed him. And then it goes on to say they, they had an affair. Skipping down to the end, verse 24. So it goes on to say they had an affair and how horrible it was. Verse 24, skipping ahead. So friends, listen to me. Take these words of mine most seriously. Don't fool around with a woman like that. Don't even stroll through her neighborhood. Countless victims have come under her spell. She's the death of many a poor man. She runs a halfway house to hell. Fits you in the shroud of a coffin. So let's pray this morning. Father, would you take us, deliver us from evil, lead us out of temptation. Lord, as so many of us in here are young adults and so many, Lord, I pray over are single and in the stage of life of dating and very interested in what you would have to say about eros and romantic love and how that should work out. Lord, I pray you take us out of darkness and into your light of truth. Take us out of the darkness of what society says and into your truth, Lord. You are good, you are holy, you are awesome, and we want to obey you and your commands. We love you and praise you. And everybody said, Amen.
All right, well, come on in. Uh, there's lots of seats up here. I, I'm not very scary. And we're going to have a panel, and they're not going to be very scary. So I'll introduce them in just a second. But welcome to Sunday School. If you're new, there's a guest card on every table. You could take it, fill it out, um, and bring it back to the back, and you, you can get a free book. If you've never gotten the free book, you can do that. I was just talking to some people. They're like, oh, we're not that new anymore, but we kind of want the book. Well, you can get the book that we give out free books. It's Brady's book. Uh, I believe it's either Addicted to Busy or Sons and Daughters. So you get that as a free gift and you can get on our email list if you would like to. If you check a box that says you want to call, I will call you. That's what I do during the week. I make a lot of calls. So I would love to do that and to meet you, tell you more about the college and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church. Uh, as far as announcements go, just one. We are going on a mission trip. Anybody like missions? What? What? Um, we are going to Macedonia. There's a college and 20-somethings trip. Uh, Victoria Dudek is helping lead it. There she is. There she is. Hi, Victoria. She's really cool. And on our website, if you go to the Mill Sunday School website from New Life Church, you find it. There is a section that says the Macedonia mission trip. It'll tell you the price, which is really, really low for an overseas mission trip. You should check it out. And we are going to Macedonia because there's a great need in Macedonia. It's this little country that has been Christian since the beginning, like the book of Acts talks about Macedonia. We'll visit Thessalonica, the, the city that Paul writes to. And nowadays, uh, there's lots of numbers and stats out there that say within 20 years or so, it'll go from a Christian country to a Muslim country. Islam is spreading into Europe, and Macedonia is in between Europe and uh, the Middle East. And soon enough, if the numbers are true, that will happen. And so we're going over there to help and support local missionaries and local churches that we have been partnering with. So think about the trip. It's at the end of May in June. It's 10 days. It's not that expensive. We'll do fundraisers. It'll be really cool. So go to the website. There's information. You could email Victoria or I for more information as well. So that's that. Um, let's get down to business. We're talking about the four loves all this month, four different Greek words for love. And here they are on the board. Storge, eros, phileo, or phileia, uh, and agape. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about storge, parental love, had David Grothy here. Today, we're going to talk about eros, the romantic love. And everybody cheered. Yay! <laughs> it is, yesterday was Valentine's Day or Singles Awareness Day, depending on how you look at things. Uh, just That joke is always funny. So I thought I could t- talk for a full hour about romance and sexuality, but I would get all red and start blushing. So I thought, oh, let's invite people uh, who are experts. So why don't you guys, if you're on the panel, come on up. I'll introduce you as you come. And um, we'll start with, uh, um, <clears throat> I'll just c- come on up. The Perkinses, come on up. Gabe, there's Aaron Higgins. Come on up. Find We've got little seats for you and, and a bunch of mics. Um, I'll talk about Aaron Higgins first. Aaron has been the longest uh, Sunday school volunteer uh, serving the Lord and us here. And he is an expert on all things C.S. Lewis. I've never met anyone that knows C.S. Lewis more than he does. And C.S. Lewis wrote a book, I'll, I'll steal it from you and hold it up, called The Four Loves. And so this sermon series is kind of based off The Four Loves. So Aaron is here to kind of represent C.S. Lewis and nerdy theological stuff. Gabe is our men's pastor. Lots of you know Gabe from Wednesday night, and he's here to represent uh, kind of, I don't know, I'm sure you have lots of discussions with men about romance and sexuality. And so Gabe's here, and uh, here should be Erin Meadows. Lots of you love Erin Meadows, but she's sick this morning, uh, so she could not be here. Um, So we have one lady on the panel, Miss Amy Perkins. Um, Amy and Dan both are the DLA pastors, and they, day in, day out, uh, 
talk, pastor, uh, hang out with young adults. So I think their insight and wisdom is is remarkable. And they just had a baby like last month, six months today, six weeks. weeks, Sorry, Aiden. Yeah, last month. So it was a long month ago. but I know when I, when Erica and I had our first baby, like my whole paradigm of like sexuality and romance and like being fruitful and multiplying, it just, I learned a lot. And so hopefully some of that wisdom will come out. And last but not least, Matthew Ayers, he just got married last month, right? <laughs> Woo, to Amber. There she is in the back. There she is. Lovely Amber. And and so I hope wisdom and insight will come out of this newly married uh, relationship that you're in. And if you know Matthew, he spoke at Sunday school a couple months ago, and he spoke for the entire time on the conversation of homosexuality and Christianity. And so I thought if we have questions about that, Matthew has a great voice about that and can speak to that. So here's what we're going to do. We introduce the panel, introduce what we're going to be talking about. So here's your discussion question on every table. So you need to get into a table, and the bigger the better. So if you're sitting at a small table, join a big table, um, because we want you to write down one question. So there's one card per table, and so there's only like 28-ish tables, so there shouldn't be more than that uh, as far as questions go. And here's the question. What questions do you have about a biblical understanding of romantic or eros-type love. So you're going to do the questions. We're going to give, just give you like three minutes really quick. You've got to be quick about this. And then we're going to hand in the, the questions, and we're going to pass them out and let our panel uh, talk about these questions. Sound fun? Okay, good. So turn to your table, assign someone to be a writer, and start writing your question. Uh, these two guys here can, can be collecting your cards as they come in. But um, let's get right down to it. So the, the rules panel are to be, we're, trying, we're going to try to get to as many questions as we can. Um, but obviously we can't get to everyone's question, so we apologize. But let's start. Does anybody, does anybody on the panel have a question that wants to start us off? Gabe looks ready. I feel so formal behind these tables here. So this question is, how long should you wait to get married? That, that is a really good question. When I was a senior in college, I had so much pressure. I remember specifically having a conversation with one of my buddies, and we looked at each other and we said, we're seniors. And he said, I know, if we don't find a wife this year, we're in trouble. <laughs> and so at the end of the year, neither one of us had found a, found a wife, and we thought, oh, we're, we're hopeless. We're doomed. But what I didn't realize is that it was actually, in my case, a good thing because God had a lot more forming. He, he was forming me and shaping me. And then I met my wife when I was about 20, 25. Um, so it's different. The, the, my opinion, the answer to this question is different. But what I would want to speak to is the pressure that a lot of people feel when they're in college that I have to find a spouse now or it's not going to happen. Oftentimes, I think it's actually good to wait until you're in your mid-twenties because you have a better understanding of who you are and what you're looking for. I was actually engaged when I was about 20, and I thank God that did not work out because what I was looking at, looking for when I was 25 was about the opposite of what I was looking for when I was 20. And so I had to be patient. I had to trust God, and uh, he came through in a... a a great way for me. So I think it's different, but again, be careful not to 
feel so much pressure to find a wife that you just say, well, let's get married because this is what people do when they're finishing college. Is my mic on? Yeah, there we go. How many of you are younger than 25? Raise your hand. So like, that probably it, it maybe encourages you. Thank you, Gabe. Do you, does anybody you want to go next? I have more cards. We just got a fresh batch. So here's some more. And then I have some questions that the leaders asked. So I could ask these as well. But if one of you are ready to ask a question, read the question, if possible. Some of these questions are... Dan. Sorry. <laughs> well, now we're curious. Is it appropriate to read or not? What's that? Is it appropriate to share? Or? I, I, yeah, I think this would maybe be a fun one to talk about. Okay. But uh, I'd like maybe Matthew and Amy and, I mean, all of us speaking to this. I just, why is there an entire book dedicated to a man whore, Song of Solomon's? Song of Solomon, or songs. So, uh, Wait, say it again? Why I don't is- know. We might have to edit this. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but... <laughs> Why is there an entire book dedicated to a man whore? A man whore? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's one question. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I do think here, here's uh, the Song of Solomon. Song of Songs is, a, is an interesting book, right? Because uh, you probably have read it and you're like, what is this? And why is this in my Bible? Um, and so I remember even when I was in high school trying to get a guy interested in the Bible, I was like, bro, just read Song of Solomon, man. You'll get it. Like, come on. Uh, so I think you could go a lot of ways. Uh, I, I, I think that um, the Song of Solomon actually is not so much about a man whore as it's about a, uh, a the, the – well, let me tell you, as I read it, there's a couple interpretations. You can see a relationship between a man and a woman and how it develops. Uh, and I think that that is biblical and godly and helpful. Uh, I have found great uh, wisdom and, and fortunately have got to read some, you know, it wasn't just my ideas. But, uh, you know, from the idea of this picture of God and us and the whole story of Song of Solomon is dark am I yet lovely. Uh, and it's this idea of going from uh, at the beginning where the, the, where the statement is, uh, my beloved is mine and I am his, dark am I yet lovely, to the end, I am my beloved's and he is mine. And it's this picture of a growing in, in relationship with God and, and a picture of God and his relationship with his people. Uh, so it's actually, in my perspective, not so much about a man whore as uh, a beautiful story of our uh, growth in God and going from uh, poor and destitute and far to close and in relationship uh, and in a loving relationship, which may open up a whole other can of worms. So I don't know uh, if either of you guys want to speak to that, but that, that would be my interpretation that's of this good, book. Uh, maybe is a little bit different than, than about a man whore. I, yeah, I think there's maybe what somebody's asking, they could be asking two different things. One is about the song, Book of Song of Solomon itself, which I think Dan really did a great job of summarizing that. But um, maybe you're saying, why, why is their entire book dedicated to this man? As in Solomon, the man who had hundreds of concubines. So in that sense, they're probably asked, what I assume you're asking is, why do we have a book in our scripture that's dedicated to this guy who didn't, had no idea what covenant love was like between one man and one woman. And the, our understanding of the scriptures today, especially the, uh, I mean, if you read uh, a lot of scripture from the Old Testament, this was accepted in culture. 
Yet, a lot of the scripture in the New Testament makes it pretty clear that covenant love between one man and one woman is God's ideal. So there's incredible wisdom that was actually we capture through not just Book of Song of Solomon, but throughout all the Old Testament books. I mean, if you look at the stories in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, you're going to hear a lot about men who had multiple wives. So um, I think we can still glean wisdom and understand that that's not prescriptive, that that's more descriptive of things that were happening in the culture, and that God wasn't condoning those things. God wasn't condoning Solomon's lifestyle, necessarily. In fact, if you look in Deuteronomy, there's three warnings that the author of Deuteronomy gives to kings. It says that we'll take them out, and we'll take out a nation. And that's storing up a lot of wealth, it's storing up a lot of weapons or things that would work towards war, and it's having a lot of wives. So the very three things that Deuteronomy is speaking into against, Solomon does. And so I think you're right. Solomon was acted like a man whore. (laughs) Yet, despite that, we still have a lot of wisdom we can glean from that book. There's a lot of words I didn't think I'd ever hear at Sunday school. (laughs) I'm going to put Aaron Higgins on the spot and maybe maybe back up a second. I saw a few of the questions uh, on the card, so this might apply to your table, of just like, okay, what is Eros? Would you define Eros? So I'm going to call on Aaron, because I know he's been reading uh, C.S. Lewis and studying the Greek words. So if you don't mind, Aaron. Sure. Yeah, like Joe said, I, I really enjoy things C.S. Lewis has to say. He, he really boils it down to everyday speech. Um, if you haven't read The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis, I do highly recommend it. It's like the uh, Mere Christianity, a very easy read. Um, in The Four Loves, uh, C.S. Lewis calls uh, Eros as the state of being in love, the kind of love which lovers are, quote-unquote, in. Um, he goes, this is different than just pure erotic love or pure sexual love. It's, it's a love about desiring the beloved. Um, Lewis goes out of his way to really separate sexual love and sexual desire. Uh, he labels it Venus as in the, the goddess of love. And uh, he says that uh, the non-Christian typically uses the Venus passion of, of wanting someone sexually to eventually grow into Eros. But the Christian perspective is to first come from the Eros approach. That kind of leads into one of the questions I did get about how long does romantic love in a relationship typically last. The answer to that question is it depends on what you're about. If it's about Venus, then it fades. You know, you you stop getting that rush of adrenaline when they enter the room. You stop, you know, kind of feeling that way. It's it's the the typical American culture that's portrayed in media of, you know, the, pick any sitcom out there. You have two characters. They finally hook up. It's a big deal. And then, you know, they fight and they fight and they fight and they break up. Well, that's that's not love. That's, as Lewis calls it, Venus. So I, I would say... Uh, that's that's the definition of eros is desiring the beloved, desiring to make your beloved happy. It's not about you, it's about them, and that's really what the difference of eros is compared to the other loves. Good. All right. Anybody else have another question? 
Well, I'll add on to what he was just talking about with how long does it last. This question is, what role does friendship play in marriage between the husband and wife? And I think friendship is huge. Uh, I think I think Eros love can last, is designed to last a lifetime. In fact, the, the couple, out of all of the couples that I know, the couple that's most in love has been married 40 years. And that's a beautiful thing to see. When she's gone, he you can tell he misses her. And when he's gone, she misses him. It, they've been married for 40 years, and they've been through some extremely difficult times. In fact, this particular couple almost got a divorce early on. But they weathered the storm. They were committed to one another. And now, 40 years into the marriage, they're, they're crazy about one another. And one of the keys to that, I think, is the friendship. They were, they made friendship a, a priority. And so much of the reality of married life, like if you look at it, okay, a Tuesday afternoon, seven or eight years into your marriage, that Tuesday afternoon is not very romantic. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's reality. That's just life. You're changing diapers and you're doing all these different things. And, uh, but it's the friendship that's the, the, the glue in that case. And I think the more you're committed to the friendship, the the romance grows. Because you love being around one another. Any other thoughts on that? Well, I have one. It's just the same question. But how can you maintain Eros love for decades? So yesterday uh, was Amy and my 10th Valentine's Day together. So I can't speak to decades. I can speak to decade. (laughs) Uh, And so, yeah, I, I think... It, I do think that this type of love and love, it is meant to last a lifetime and not just last. That's actually probably the wrong word because it's not supposed to last. It actually grows and deepens and it's, it's because it's about intimacy. Uh, and so when, when Amy and I, and this is what you were saying, when we're not together, uh, you know, like the just cheesy thing where people are like, oh, let me introduce you to my better half. And you're like, well, whatever, what does that even mean? You know, but it is true that it becomes when we're not together, it, I, I feel like, oh, there's part of me that's not here because there's intimacy, there's friendship, there's commitment. We know each other. We love each other. And so, uh, how, how can you make it last for a decade? We'll go there. And then this goes to decades. Uh, one, I think it's honestly a choice over and over and over again uh, to choose to love, to choose to to serve, to choose to uh, see the best, not see the worst, uh, and to have good communication. Those are all great. Those are all a part of it. Uh, so um, anyway, but I think even just maybe even just the perspective of how is this going to last is different than where we should be asking, where we should be expecting, no, this is supposed to grow and deepen, uh, and we share with each other. And, and here's the funny thing about this kind of love, because very few, uh, this may not be true, but when you look at your best friends, you don't think, oh, we are best friends, but in 10 years, we're barely going to be friends at all. No, you assume that in 10 years, you'll be closer with your best friends. Yet for some reason, we assume that the person we love in 10 years, it's going to fade. Uh, and, and that's the opposite of how it should be and how it will be when we are committed and when we're having conversation and when it's a choice to, to love day in and day out. I think this brings up just kind of the question of the point of marriage and the point of Eros love. And um, the point of marriage is not just he's here to make me happy. 
which I think is the, which is a secular perspective, um, read a great book. I can't remember the author, but it's called Sacred Marriage. And he said, the point of marriage is not happiness, but it's holiness. And when you understand that God brought us together in order to make me ready for him, in order for him to make me, wait, me to make him <laughs> ready for him. Um, <laughs> But just the idea of, so one of, a couple of my questions are, how do you hold God more dearly in your heart than you hold your spouse? And basically, how do you separate your intense love for your spouse and your intense love for God? Um, that's separating, okay, my love for him and my love for God versus, okay, this is a, we're kind of one and the same and that ultimately in my heart, I'm living with the, with the vision and the mission of Jesus. I want to be ready for you on that day. When I see you that day, because I am your bride and you are my bridegroom, I want to know those eyes. I want to know who you are. And he's here to prepare me for him because there's an inheritance that the Lord is going to receive from my life. And that's what we're preparing each other for. And so when you're, when your perspective is, he's not here just to make me happy, but yeah, Yes, he absolutely does. Um, but when my vision is, I want greater, he's, he, my intimacy with him is fueling my intimacy with the Lord. And so what I mean by intimacy and in, in the, um, how do I hold the Lord higher than him? Um, I think it's the question of satisfaction and before we got married, I think some some red flags to to make note of in your own heart is if you're looking for a spouse in order to satisfy your deepest desires, your deepest dreams, your the, the deep parts of you. And when I say intimacy with the Lord, I'm meaning um, he is the one who gives me the deepest sense of worthiness. He is the one who gives me the deepest sense of my value. And yes, when... Dan tells me I'm beautiful and, you know, my card yesterday, I'm gorgeous. You know, like, oh, that makes me feel so great. But ultimately, I have to, you know, before he gives me my card, yesterday morning, I'm going, tell me you love me again, Jesus. Tell me my value. Tell me that you delight in me. Because he is the one who satisfies me the deepest and the most. Um even more than Dan does. And so I think knowing that your spouse isn't going to meet your every need. Eros isn't meant to meet our every need. He is. And so that's kind of all over the place. Good. No, thank you, Amy. It's really good. I have a, a question here. So we, as a leadership team, got together on, uh, what was that, Tuesday? And we came up with some questions. And I thought one of the best questions that I thought we came up with, so this is open for any of you, um, but arrows compared to other types of love, um, we often say, oh, love is a choice, love is a choice. But the, the Greek concept of love, if you think about like the Greek gods running around naked or whatever the world they're doing, um, <laughs> the Greek concept of Cupid was like he just shot people randomly and then they would fall in love and there's like no choice, they just fall in love. And maybe some of you feel like that about like people that you are fascinated with. You just like, I don't uh, like the idea of choice is skewed, but would any of you have insight to, like, love being a choice? How is Eros a choice? Does the question make sense? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> That's actually funny, because the, the question I have on top is, should we let God choose our spouse? Um, you're talking to a Molinist uh, slash Arminiist. Answer is no. Uh, but the answer is Yes. <laughs> 
Um, so, so to play into what Joe said in, in regards to allowing uh, the Lord to guide you and, and speak to you and uh, guide you in the quote-unquote falling in love phase, um, I think at one time or another we've all had what uh, we colloquial call uh, puppy love, where we're just kind of fascinating with someone. We, we have a crush on them maybe. Um, is is that something that will eventually lead to marriage and children and all that jazz? Um, I, I I don't know. I can't speak to that. But I, I can speak to that uh, God does give you situations in your life and allows you to make choices uh, for that. Um, it's It's about relying on him and understanding what his intent for love is, what his intent for eros is. And understanding the differences between the types of love, uh, maybe even the differences, as Lewis says, between Venus and Eros. And you may desire someone, but do you truly desire to be with someone? So I think, yeah, I think we really have a lot of choice in it. Uh, I don't think we just get hit by an arrow and we're like, oh. Uh, And so um, our first year of DLA... Uh, we had a young lady who came out, and she had never dated uh, anybody, and she moved out here, and all of a sudden, it was like a new world to her, and she was Miss Little Flirt, and uh, <laughs> and just liking all these boys, and all this, this just new new world, and so uh, she really liked this one guy, and, but she, so she came, and we were having a conversation, and she was like, I don't know what to do, he doesn't like me, you know, she didn't think it was going anywhere, but she was just like, oh, it's just, it's all I think about, it's all, you know, it's just consuming me, I can't help it. So I said, here's what I want you to do, I want you to go home over Christmas break, stop thinking about him all the time, decide you don't like him, and come back. And, uh... Easy. And so she did. She came back in January, and she was like, you were right, I just stopped thinking about him all the time and what do you know I'm not consumed with him anymore and I don't think about him all the time and then four years later I married her (laughs) (laughs) but I was not I was not the guy okay so this kind of actually goes along to my question before marriage what are the emotional boundaries you need to set for yourself and it's the idea of uh, guarding your heart and I think with is it a choice or does it just happen I think many times we've Attraction, I don't think, is a choice, but where you take it from there is. And so it's the idea of what do you have control over. And me in this situation, as a young 18-year-old, I was so frustrated because I felt like, ugh, I just like this guy, and I and it's and I can't stop liking him. I think we feel that so many times. I just can't stop liking them. And when Dan told me, no, you can't stop liking him, I was so offended. I was like, what? Like, but it comes down to your That's thoughts. most of our dating life was me offending her, by the way. <laughs> That's actually really true. I just offended her theology over and over yes, until she married me. Um, <laughs> um, but it's the idea of what you allow yourself to think eventually will... will that's what you will feel. It's not vice versa. You don't feel something and then think something. No, 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 no. Your, your feelings always start with a thought. And so when you take every, you know, as the scriptures talk, talk about taking every thought captive, that's the idea of, okay, what you start feeding your mind or what you start deciding, okay, 
I'm going to tell myself, okay, this guy doesn't like me because he didn't. Um, then all of a sudden it was like, okay, yeah, my feelings started to change when I realized this guy's rejecting me. Okay. I probably shouldn't like him. Um, but so I just want to encourage you, the idea of guarding your heart, guarding your mind, emotional boundaries all comes down to what you allow yourself to think and meditate on. And then your, your emotions and your feelings will transpire. I think, I think this is a huge topic because in terms of what, what's our choice in this process? Because there's two sides of the, the spectrum, extreme. One is, I'm just going to wait for God to drop my spouse out of the sky. The other one is, it's all up to me. I better, I, I better do everything I can to meet my spouse because God doesn't care. And so I personally think it's somewhere in the middle. And I think of the scripture, delight yourself in the Lord and he will what? What will he do? He'll give you the desires of your heart. He does care. He is deeply involved in the process. But also I think some people miss it because they're not, they're thinking God is just going to make it all happen and they don't have any part to play in the process. God may be prompting you to work up the courage to go ask somebody out. And you're like, so fear is holding on to you. You're like, no, that's not, God is just going to bring her to me or bring him to me. And so I would just really encourage you, be careful of either side of the spectrum. Because God will give you the desires of your heart if you delight yourself in Him, if you seek Him, if you make Him the number one priority. But that process may be very different than what you think it is. Good. Do you have another question here? No, go ahead. All right. What do you got? So this is, a lot of these were written very similar to this one. I'll just read um, the way this person wrote it. Uh, what's the difference between biblical love and modern day love? And I think that it's important for us to see the lenses that we look through to recognize, like, how are we perceiving the world? And then understand the lenses that are out there in the greater culture. Like, what are the messages that we most often hear about love? And I think that's part of this question that they're asking is, what's modern day love? What are those lenses? What are the messages that we constantly hear in culture, whether it's through radio, media, TV, any, any kind of media uh, what are we hearing in conversations? What are we hearing in our workplaces? What are we hearing at church? And so our own personal views might actually match those things. There's so many dangerous Christian books on love out there that just adopt this kind of worldly view of love and then try to pack it into a Christian worldview. And it's really dangerous. So um, I would say that the, all, all of these loves are important, uh, and there is a clear difference. And maybe it's a matter of prioritizing values in the kingdom. And we see Jesus often do this. And so um, Pharisees are trying to catch him up and talking, nitpicking little bits of the law. And he's saying, hey, 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 there's priorities here. Why don't you worry about greater things like justice and mercy and righteousness? And so... It's the same thing with love. If we, the, the things that Dr. Joe went over the last several weeks with these other loves, if we don't have a good foundation and a priority for agape and phileo love, um, that this whole eros thing quickly degrades and we saw, and just can debase into self-gratification. And suddenly it, it moves from uh, what we heard was the definition earlier of the desire for the beloved to a desire to satisfy yourself. So I think that's the difference between biblical love and modern day love is that you're going to have an understanding of the priority that love is ultimately covenant. Love is ultimately about serving the other. 
And in one way we can, we can see this is, I think, the primary lens that love is described in the culture today. Thomas Merton has a great article about this, is that we consume it. And so if, if our understanding of love is that we can be a consumer of this product, then we try to get ourselves up to a certain standard, whatever we can do, the way we look, how much we weigh, the things we talk about, how cool we are, how we present ourselves, and we say, okay, we judge it, and we're doing a lot of this subconsciously. We say, okay, I think I'm at this level, so I can get this level of person to date me. And then we make the match. So it's like in a buying and selling proposition. Mm. And then we figure, well, if I eventually can look better than that, then I can get rid of this person and actually get a better proposition for myself. And that's like probably the primary way that love is communicated through our culture. So instead, if we look at it through the lens of agape love and phileo love and not starting with first a desire for the other, but that that desire is actually built on these other loves, then all of them work together. It becomes incredibly healthy because we're actually looking to serve the other and it's about a covenant versus a temporary transaction. That's good. That's a lot of wisdom from a man that's only been married a month. (laughs) (laughs) There's a question. Why does the church push having a family on young people uh, to the point of obsession? Um, I don't do that to you, do I? Yeah, first, first, if you wrote this question, uh, I want to say I'm sorry. I don't think that that's right. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I'm sorry if that has happened. Um, I think for me, I got married at 26. Some people think that's young. Some people think that's old. Uh, you know, Gabe said he was 25. Um, Matthew was 22. Um, so, uh, so I, I, I don't think that it is right to push it, like, get married, get married, get married, have a family, have a family. Here's what I will say. Well, first off, I think in general, people, just so you know, just get comfortable with it. People always want to be the next stage that you're not currently in. So when you're single, they want you to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. When you're dating, they want you to be engaged. When you're engaged, they can't wait till you get married. When you get married, they ask when you're going to have kids. When you have a kid, they ask when you're going to have another kid. I mean, it just keeps going and going. So just get over it. Like, that's just the way people think and work. Uh, but... I will say this, um, and Amy's talked about this earlier, the the beautiful thing about marriage and family is in a godly relationship, the point is not make you happy, right? We're chasing after happiness, uh, and ultimately that's self-gratification, and you're chasing after yourself, and you are your king, you are your own God. Uh, But... The true, I believe, uh, relationship and marriage, it, there is, it is the picture we are given of our relationship with Christ, uh, and it's about selflessness and dying to self, uh, and so it's where you become more like Jesus, you, you learn, oh my goodness, I didn't even know that that was, I had that, you know, that attitude, I didn't even know how, I didn't know I was that mean of a person. I mean, you know, like, all these things start to come up, and what actually happens is that through, uh, through marriage, I believe we become more like Jesus, not in terms of we are, we are, we become sanctified, we become, you know, we grow into becoming more and more like Him. Uh, we grow in that, uh, we be- grow into holiness, and so that's a big part of it. I'll tell you this, having kids, that's the next step to selflessness. I mean, at least I chose Amy, at least in my worldview and theology. I mean, right? And so then you have kids and it's even more and even more selflessness and even more you have to choose to, like Jesus, become a servant of all and, and do, and so, uh, so 
I apologize if you felt pushed that that's been pushed on you. I don't think that that's right. Uh, I think that that I think that your 20s this is a beautiful time for as Gabe said to grow and, and figure out more of who you are and uh, and and to not rush into anything that said I think there is n- nothing better than than getting married uh, there's been nothing better in my relationship with the Lord and ultimately guess what in my own personal happiness but that's not what it's actually about uh, and so uh, so getting married was a huge part of my relationship with the Lord then having kids or kid uh, is the next step. <laughs> So I don't want to feel, I hope you don't feel that it's pushed on you. It's just the best thing ever. Uh, and so don't feel pressured. It's more of an invitation. Uh, and so, so that's what we want that for you, I think. But I will say timing is everything. I think that if you marry, uh, the wrong person at the wrong time, horrible. The right person at the wrong time is really difficult. What you're looking for is the right person at the right time. Uh, and, and, and so a huge part of that is in your relationship with the Lord, conversation with the Lord. And, and so that's easier said than done, I know. But So that would be why I think there is a bent towards the church encouraging you. Uh, but I certainly don't want you to feel pushed into it. Because uh, I think it's actually an invitation from the Lord. That's good. Real, real quick. I'm not going to go into long on this. I love what he shared, but just for you who asked that question and anyone who's feeling this, I was 35 before I was even interested in thinking about being becoming married. And biblically, that sh- that's not pushed on you at all. It's not pushed on us ever. In fact, there's some scriptures that say it's actually better to be single. So if that's you, enjoy it. Yes. Relish it. Absolutely. Just as much as Dan said that it's the best thing ever, this invitation to be married, if you're in that position like I was for most of my life, it's the best thing ever to be single. It, I mean, you have tons of time to devote to the Lord and his mission and participating with him and what he's doing in your neighborhood and your city. So run with it. When I was 22, uh, I saw my brother-in-law who got married at 35. And I saw the life he had lived as a man and in God in, in that decade and a half or decade ahead of me. And I thought, dude, that looks awesome. I was like, I could wait till I'm 35 till I get married. That is fantastic. And so that really set me up for success in dating, actually, because it, I wasn't just trying to, oh, I got to find a spouse. Oh, I got to find a wife. I was like, I am so good. Like, I am enjoying life. I'm, I'm, I can do things now that I won't be able to do when I'm married. So if you're single, please live it up. Enjoy this. And when I say live it up, I don't mean uh, hook it up. I mean, you, this is a season where you can enjoy the Lord. You can go, you can, you can do things. Uh, you have a freedom right now that maybe you won't in the future. So rather than complaining about it, be like, man, God, what can we do now? Uh, and I think you'll enjoy this season. And then the Lord, the Lord may bring someone and you'll get married and, and you'll love that season as well. Probably have time for one more. Gabe, you got... I just had one more follow-up point. The greatest advice somebody could have given me when I was 22 would be, Gabe, first of all, on the topic of marriage, chill out. <laughs> chill out. Number two, seek God. Number three is take risks. Don't be afraid. Go ask her out. Take risk. But don't get so stressed out about, I've got to make it happen, that it's just causing you stress and anxiety. Just chill out and enjoy where you're at. Because you'll, you'll look back on the season. So my wife and I often say, why, why did we have kids so quickly? Instead of just enjoying that season of being a newlywed, those two or three years. I think that's a lot of wisdom. I just wanted to highlight what they were saying. Enjoy where you're at. Just chill out. Wherever you're at in this season, enjoy it. What is God doing in this season 
because it, it's purposeful. Yes. That's good. That's good. Well, let's thank our panel. You guys are awesome. Um, I just want to close us in, in prayer. And uh, one of the questions that, I, that we came up with as leaders was this, like Eros is usually considered an evil type of love within Christianity. When is it good? And I thought it is th- this type of love, romantic type love, Eros type love is good. The Lord has created it. And the very first thing the Lord tells humans to do after he creates them, do you know what it is? In uh, Genesis one twenty eight. He says, be fruitful and multiply. And of course, that has something to do with romantic love and sexuality and eros, and it's a part of God's will. And I think the rest of the Bible has all these different commands about, okay, be fruitful and multiply, but not in this way, not adulterous relationships, not uh, relationships with a close relative, not homosexuality, not uh, prostitution, not... Um, all these commands throughout the Bible is like, okay, it is good and be fruitful and multiply, but obey my commandments. And it, it is within your realm as a human being to enjoy um, romance and, and sexuality, but under these conditions. And the Lord is very clear. So let's um, th- thank you guys, the panel, and let's pray. Let's invite the Lord to continue this conversation with us as we think about it and live it out. So, Father, we we pray to you that you are a good, holy dad that loves us and wants us to to be lovers of you first and foremost and to love each other in the ways that you have shown us to. And and son, we pray to you, Jesus, and, and we ask you for your forgiveness where we have failed in thoughts and words and deeds and what we've done Jesus, we thank you that you have died on the cross to cover over our sins, to cover over our mistakes, specifically this morning as we consider sexuality and the brokenness of, of romance in our own lives. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to be the, the guiding presence in our relationships, in our relationships that are romantic, and our relationships that are friendships, and our relationship towards you. So we honor you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We invite you to come into our lives, bring us out of darkness into your light. We love you and we praise you. And everybody said, amen. All right, friends. Well, next week will be the topic of phileo, a much easier topic, I think, to swallow. So we'll see you next week. Blessings and peace. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the College and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday School.